Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Tony Evans of the Evening Standard and David Priest, the former Aberdeen and Sunderland goalkeeper. All aboard the Magic Roundabout. Apparently, it's the turn of David Moyes to climb back on at West Ham. They've just sacked Slaven Bilic, the fans are underwhelmed, and the board have a summer wish list of Marco Silva, Manuel Pellegrini, and Roberto Mancini. Same old, same old, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, chaos at West Ham. Uh, it, not much surprising me there, but it seems the the wish list isn't that much uh, more positive than the, the appointment now. Um, I, I think David Moyes, he wouldn't be my choice, uh, but he's available, so they don't have to pay any um, pay anyone anything. So that will be a huge consideration. And, and to be fair to him, I don't think you can judge him on Man United or Sunderland. I mean, two managers on, United are still, you know, scrambling for stability. And Sunderland, you know, it was a poison chalice. They promised him money when he was appointed. He never got it. And if ever a team needed money spent, and it was Sunderland's. Mm. Sunderland's a club you know well. He was beaten from the start there, wasn't he? He was, but also he didn't help himself. You know, I'm scarred from his time there, so he's probably asking the wrong person. But it was, it was um, from the start. It, it was a case from surrendering, really. And it's not what the fans want to hear. Whether he's being, you can praise him for being truthful and honest about the situation. That's all right. But it's not what the fans wanted to hear. And it sort of sent the club on a sort of downward trajectory. And it, you're right, it was always going to be. Problem, uh, problematic there. He was, he was never going to really be able to get a do a, as good a job as what he's probably capable of. But I don't know. I, I think he's just he's probably one of those managers who's he's maybe he's lost that little bit of fire now. Leon Osman spoke about that when he, at the time it was at Everton. He had uh, you know the the eyeballs bulging, the veins in his neck coming out. You know, and he was pushing his team on. You've not seen that since he left Everton. And, and there's a few managers talk about this. I think. Um, I think you know, there's talk about losing the fire, to, you know, after they've, they've had a few jobs, and I think that's a, it might be the case with David Moyes. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting because uh, I think David's got a point there when um, when he was Sunderland manager, I saw them a few times, and in the press conferences afterwards, he was sort of he looked depressed, he was monosyllabic, you know, it wasn't you know, there was not even any anger there, it was just slumped. Mm. Is that part of a, a wider problem? You know, I saw on, on social media, it was uh, Daniel Story came out with this stat that um, seven out of the last 13 Premier League appointments have been of British managers aged between 50 and 70. It's the old boys' club. Yeah, but it's always been that way, hasn't it? You know, it's, uh, it's not good, though, is it? It's not good. But, you know, you go back to the you know the 90s and, you know, Ron Atkinson was you know, recycled <laughs> about 200 times, you know. <laughs> he, I think he managed every club and you know, the 92. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 it happens and it's, it's because... the, the, the uh, 
I think the boards, uh, football clubs, in my experience, um, very creative in terms of things. No imagination. No, no imagination. And, you know, there, there are lots of managers in the lower leagues who, who have been successful. But the thing is, people look at them from the viewpoint of the Premier League and they don't see their achievements. You know, they, they say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's only down there. And they're not really paying attention. So they're more likely to pick a name they know rather than someone who's actually got a bit of ability and a bit of, a, a bit of life about them. Mm, but if you look at the top of the championship, which is that glass ceiling, isn't it? You've got young managers like a Lee Johnson at, at Bristol City, Gary Routes proving himself uh, at Derby, Gary Monks rebuilding his reputation at, at Middlesbrough. Why not take a punt on one of those? You're right, but I mean, they still need that experience. And you think, you know, if if you look at football management uh, as an education, you know, the, the older you get, the more you learn. And it, it, like, go back to that losing losing the fire and that sort of the the eagerness to 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 coach people and to teach people new things. Sometimes you get a little bit lazy, and, you, and managers start assume that players already know these things and they've got to stop repeating themselves. When sometimes you know you've got to keep keep um, giving footballers the the basics, bring them back all the time, and and, and just not assume that they know everything that, uh, that that you do. But you're right about the young managers there. There's a lot of young managers in, in the championship now. Paul Heckenbottom at Barnsley is another one. Mm. Uh, Chris Wilder at Sheffield United. Yeah, yeah go on, can we? Exactly. Yeah. So so it's not like there's there's no talent there to be brought in. Maybe people can see it's a bit of a, a bit of a gamble, and, that, and that's because of the money that's at stake now. You see the styles of football that some people are playing. People are becoming very safe. Even Bournemouth are coming very dis defensive, going away from the, the football that they've played, that they've got them there. So there's a lot of pressure going on to, to managers and to owners to make sure they get the right appointments. Mm. So if we're saying, basically, the Premier League is drunk on money, mm. when's the hangover going to kick in? No, I think we're somewhere away from that. I think uh, certainly I can see the next two cycles of the television deals going up as more platforms come in. You know, sort of uh, people like Facebook and Google are talking, you know, about it. I mean, the money's going to go up, so it's only going to get worse. Mm. But do you think that we will ever get to the point where we will be able to trust our own, or is it still going to be a fashion business where a foreign coach who? By and by common consent, they really present well when they're doing job interviews. That mm. they're they're almost like the sexy option. Oh no! What will happen is there'll be a good young English coach come through, and he'll be really successful. And then it'll be a classic football thing, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Everyone will be looking for English coaches. You know, it's a, it'll happen at some point. And um, and then you know, foreign coaches will be out of fashion. You know Lee Johnson quite well, don't you? Yeah, and his assistant uh, Jim McAllister, and also Paul Heckingbottom as well. And and even I mean in Lee's case, you know, even in the short space of time that you know he's been at Oldham, Barnsley, now Bristol City, it hasn't all been sort of plain sailing. You know, he had a, a tough time at Barnsley and even last season at Bristol City, but he had. Uh, in both cases, chairman who who trusted him and stuck with him through those tough times as well, and that's what they, you know, English managers need. I mean, I was surprised at all the the stick that David Unsworth's been getting, simply because it was kind of like, all right, the results haven't been good, the performances haven't been good, okay, but it, even before the results had it turned turned negatively. They all seem to be like a little bit, uh, sort of. Some people are just quick to criticise all the time when really, it, I mean, it is a big step for him. And whether you should get the job or not, that's a different matter. But the fact there should be more encouragement to, to English coaches, I found that really disappointing. The reality is he won't get the job, will he, Tony? 
Well, no, and I don't think he. I don't think he should. I don't think he's good enough. I mean, you know, it's, um, and I don't think it's an issue with his weight either. Um, <laughs> no, was the, that was the nonsense, I yeah, have to say. It's, um, but, I, you know, I, I think uh, he's still in his learning process and I don't think he's qualified to manage a club like Evan mm. at this stage. Looks like Sam Allardyce is now the favourite and there's talk of Craig Shakespeare going with him as his number two. Mm. To be perfectly honest, I'm really underwhelmed by that. We know why they're going to do it to keep him in the division. He'll spend 18 months there and then they'll all start again. Yeah, I mean, I think it won't address the underlying problems there. You know, Alizé uh, shall come in, he'll organise them and, and they'll do enough. They should have enough to stay up anyway. It, it, it shouldn't be a problem. But, you know, they, they need a, a, a wider revamp. They need to, I mean, they, they bought so little pace during the summer, um, no striker. You know, they, they, they need someone to build for the future. And Allardyce is just going to, you know, he's going to be a plaster over the wounds, and um, but the wounds will still be there. Mm. And the irony being, out of all that summer recruitment, the only one who's really fulfilled himself is, is Pickford, isn't it? Yeah, and that's simply because he's had to, because he's been so busy. And yeah. I mean, it's it's worrying as well. For I mean, you mentioned Jordan there. It's worrying that uh, there's him, Joe Hart. Jack Butland, mm. playing for the three teams with the worst defensive records, mm. conceded the most goals, and that, that, that's a bit of a worry coming into a, to a World Cup. When you when at the start of the season we're thinking we've got a you know mm. a wealth of riches here, um, you know, and you're thinking Jordan Pickford or, or Butland would come to that tournament, and some you don't want them to be uh, you know shot to pieces. Your Gareth Southgate, who's your number one going into the World Cup? At the minute, uh, I'd go for Butland, but. You can see now that maybe he's becoming a little bit jaded by what's happened at um, it's Stoke. Okay, like Man City last week, you know, people are going to get passed around. It's irrelevant who's in goal when when Man City are playing like that. But John Pickford's one that's you know, despite what's going on, he's still conceding goals, but he's making a hell of a lot of saves, and he's still looking the confident lad that that went there in the summer. Mm. And I think over the course of the season, it'll be interesting, you know, see if uh, the battle between Butland and, and Pickford for the number one spot. Well, I mean, the thing about Pickford, he, he, you know, he'll make mistakes, but he's really willing to learn. Mm. And he's in, in games, he doesn't let the mistakes get to him. Mm. But afterwards, he, you know, he'll go back and he'll, he'll, he'll talk about it and try and correct himself. I don't think this experience at Everton, as bad as it is, will, will, will do him any harm long term. No, it's, it's what he's used to. <laughs> no, he, he used to have a lot of work done at, at Sunderland, you know. So it's, it, he's going for, it's not like um, the... People talking about the, the problem he might have is when he goes to a, a bigger club, uh, top of the league, have less to do, and then it's more about the mental side of the game than it is uh, being involved making saves. So we, we thought that might be a problem, but he hasn't had to worry about that so far. You're not saying Everton a small club, are you? No, I'm saying... <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't saying that at all. The hate saying, mail, the hate the, mail. But the, 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 they're not the challenge of the top six like, uh, mm. like they wanted to at the start of the season. They blame me, you know. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is that were were Everton built up into something that they're not in the summer? Because there was all this talk about, yeah, okay, we'll go from seventh. They're going to make a bid for the top six, the top four. No, uh, well, yeah. Well, I think I think the, the the exaggerated the the progression. I mean, I, I was one of those people who thought they bought reasonably well, and I thought they'd be doing better than than, than they did, but. I mean, it was clear that the lack of a striker and not addressing the the, the, the sort of dearth of pace in the back four. I mean, they, they had so much pace and width from the full-backs over the years, but suddenly they've got old 
mm. you know, um, and of course the centre halves uh, are so immobile. You know, they look as if they're fossilising on the pitch. <laughs> but interesting, Michael Keane's got back into the England squad this morning. You know, as, a, mm. as an injury replacement. What puzzles me about the Everton situation, Dave, is Sean Dyche. Now, to my very small brain, he is a no-brainer because he has produced over five years at Burnley. He is exactly the sort of coach that they need in their current state and he will take that club forward. He needs a bigger stage with the greatest respect to Burnley. Why on earth don't they go for him? I think they've got to look at things uh, from uh, another perspective, whereas they've got to have continuity in the club. They've got to, whoever's uh, in charge of uh, sort of the, the ethos or the philosophy of the, of the way they play and the direction that they want to take the club in. It's a big leap going from Koeman to Deitch. And then if Deitch doesn't work out, there's going to be, I mean, the playing staff they've got there at the moment isn't exactly what you would uh, call a classic uh, Sean Deitch uh, side. So there's going to have to be some movement in January. Now, if, if there's a massive overhaul and then it doesn't work out, then they go to another type. I mean, this is why I was saying with, with Sam Allardyce. It's all right going in there saying, well, he will do this job and he will keep them up. That's OK. That's short term. But they haven't really got the, the personnel to, to, to be able to make a big, big change. I mean, in January, you'd imagine they get a few Sam Allardyce types in in. Uh, in January, like you did with the, at Sunderland, you got Coney and did a great job from Kazri to provide some uh, some assists. But they're uh, it, it doesn't look like Sam Allardyce or Sean Dyche at the moment. That's that, that's my biggest worry. But you look at Dyche, look what he's done to Tarkovsky, turning him into a terrific, you know, one of the most effective centre halves in the Premier League now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he'd be an excellent choice for them. And especially, you look what he's done at Burnley. He's got ownership there that won't spend any money. They were quite happy if they go down and bounce back. And the other advantage for Dice Everton is that if they do go down, he knows how to bring a team back up. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't smile so much, mate. <laughs> what about uh, the problems, Dave, when a club is created in the image of its manager? Now, I'm thinking at the moment of West Brom and Tony Pulis. His record is awful recently. Three wins in 23, hasn't won in 10. There is pressure on him and the style of his management makes it very difficult to get rid of him, doesn't it? It does. And, and also, it's it, when people talk about the, the style of football, it, it's... People, if you're winning games under under somebody like Pulis, who's not, not great to look at, not track of football, it's OK when you're winning. People accept it when you're winning. And when you're not winning, you know, that, that's they just want rid of you. And I know, I know that, you know, speaking to the lads at, uh, at West Brom, there's no plan to change the way that they're, they're going to play. They're not going to get more expansive. They're not going to be playing any football in their own half. It's it's Nothing's going to change there. So the only way that that's, things could change now is if they brought people, uh, more people in January. Again, we talk about recruitment. And... They're missing Dawson now, who's very very good uh, right back, very good centre half, but he's also also good for a goal for set pieces. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're losing that, and that's the sort of the the core of their game, where they get their success from. And you know when you're losing people like Ashley McCauley as well, you know he's not getting any younger. 
So there's, there's, there's going to have to be plenty of changes there if anything's going to happen. But it looks as if there's, it's reached a bit of a tipping point. Once the, you lose the fans and they start going against, it's very hard to take that back. Yeah, it's a classic stick or twist situation, isn't it? Sam? Yeah, well, I'm surprised it's gone on so long because the, there was noises coming out of the Hawthorns, you know, since the beginning of last season, never mind this season, that the Pulis era was coming towards its end. And um, it's funny, isn't it? Like Pulis, the pound shop Mourinho, is uh, run out of steam at the same time as perhaps uh, Jose has. Well, there we are. Young managers, young coaches need Paul Clement to succeed. Mm. He's making it tough for everyone, isn't he? He is. All right, I watched a couple of games end of last season and see the effect that he had. Um, again, you know, talk about the, the Flossies Club and changing. They, they've gone, Swansea have gone from this passing side that's, that, that's six, seven hundred passes in, in a game and I think the third most passes now mm. behind Man City, and um, uh, and it's it's a situation where now they, they kind of don't know who they are, mm. don't know what what kind of club they are, what type of side they are. Maybe he's he's being too pragmatic, and the the business in the summer. You know, we keep going back to recruitment now, but mm. the business they did in the summer. You know, bringing Boney back at a late stage, and all, everything hinged on uh, Gulfy Sigurdsson. Um, when he left and sort of the, the long drawn out uh, saga of his leaving to go to Everton, mm. it, it, nothing just nothing went well from the summer. Because it's interesting, you talk about managers losing their fire. Wilfrid Boney was completely extinguished the moment he went to a Man City and got his move. It's um, you know it, it's, his career should serve as a warning to players because you know he, he was he was superb, wasn't he, at Swansea, and then barely got a game at City. Um, I, I think the, the problem, that, funnily enough, David said it, but you know the, the number of people in football who say to you about Swansea, they don't know who they are. They don't know what they're trying to do. And I think it shows the lack of a coherent plan on the pitch and uh, the lack of the players being aware of what their responsibilities are. Well, I think it's also to do with upstairs as well, simply because... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've, yeah. got, they've got new American owners. Yeah. The American owners are investing a lot, both sort of philosophically and financially, in a, in a data analytic approach. Mm. You've got Paul Clement, who is a terrific development coach, if nothing else, but if there's not the budget to get the right players in, look at Roque Mesa. He's probably going to end up going back to uh, La Liga without laying a hand on the Premier League. You know, this is one of the problems with the American owners. They, they come in, they go, you know what? We're brighter than everyone else. We can find an angle. You know, the, the football's not, not very clever. And just watch us. We, we find a way to... And they come in and they apply their principles and they don't work. Mm. Well, you know... They, they more often than not don't work. And and he's in this situation where the, the recruitment in the summer was shocking. Mm, mm. I feel for Paul Clement. You know, I watched him work and there's someone who I, I think, in general terms, the English game needs to succeed. Yeah, I mean, cause he's got great experience, you know, that he's learnt a lot under... Obviously under well, he's someone who's come from grassroots football, worked at development level with the academies, mm. then coached with a master manager... And now he's having a go on his own. Why not? Why not support him? Oh, no, he, he, he needs it. Of course he does. And, and I think that, uh, like you said about, you know, talking about Undrith and uh, you've got to have time. He's a new manager, even though he's got all this experience from grassroots all the way up and obviously with Ancelotti and going to Madrid and Bayern Munich, you know, he's out there on his own and he's still learning on the job. And, and sometimes you... 
you have an idea about how you're going to play football and, and, and what you're going to do. But once you get into the job, it's quite often a whole different matter. Mm -hmm. And you sort of, you, you, you're being um, moulded about what's, happen like, what's happening around you mm -hmm. rather than being able to do what you want to do. The, the, the bit of truth is you come in with a philosophy, but most managers are eight games away from the sack. Mm -hmm. so unless you're know. Jose Mourinho. Yeah, unless you But last 11 games, away games against the top six, he's lost, well, he hasn't won. You looked at that side again at Chelsea and you were there. That was a sense of a team, really, which wasn't playing to its strengths. Do you agree with that? Well, yeah, without a doubt. Um, it, it was, although they were more positive than they were, say, for example, at Hamfield, which was, which was grim. It's, um, the, the, there was a sense that, it, you know, so they were on a tight rein. You know, he never, he never cut them loose. So he's got so much pace available to him. And yet, they, you know, they, they never use it. Um, they, they don't seem to play to Lukaku's strengths. And it, it, it was all, I mean, Mkhitaryan in the centre was a passenger. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just didn't, didn't get a, a feeling that I understood what, this team were trying to do mm. with United. How much are they missing Pogba? I'm not sure how much they're missing him. Whether that makes a difference at all, simply because I think he'd play the same regardless. I think it's probably a mistake that yesterday they were a little bit more open. They played a little bit more football, and I probably think that's a bit more of a mistake. I'd rather he stuck by you know his core principles and just defended the hell out of it. And then and get a result. I mean, I didn't mind that at Liverpool at all. You know, I'd say exactly what he was trying to do. He just want to. He does want to lose, and and then maybe get a. But well, hasn't the game changed though? City have changed the game. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, but maybe I think perhaps they might have scared him into doing it. You know, he's so he's so scared of getting getting beat now that he wants to go out there and just defend the hell out of it. And 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 when it doesn't work, it's like it. it like yesterday, and they don't get the results. Okay, then he's open to criticism. But I think you know they're just they're scared of everybody now. Well, well and you see, there's where I will disagree with David because I do mind what happens at Liverpool because Liverpool's defence was so vulnerable, yeah. and you know, and instead of attacking them, you know, they, they, in the first ten minutes, they, they sort of went down Moreno's wing a couple of times, and you thought, oh, here's the plan. Yeah, you can see how that's going to turn out, and then they went back into a shell. When games are winnable. Try and win them when you think they're not. I don't mind defending, you know. I think I think you know um, it, it, it's brilliant when you see a side who uh, outmatched go somewhere and get results. But when the when the games are winnable, and the thing is that, that this game was was winnable at Stamford Bridge because Chelsea are in a, a little bit of disarray themselves. I, I also think Pogba makes a difference to them because he gives them some thrust and pace in the midfield, and also he makes Matic look good. We 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 saw. In, in, in Matic's last year at Stamford Bridge, we saw how one-dimensional he was, and he was one-dimensional again at the bridge yesterday. Mm. What was Mourinho's mood like after when he came down to see the guys? His, um, <laughs> his, his mood's never great after his defeat, is it? You mm. know, he's, um, and he, over the last but was he defiant, or was he a bit surly or sullen? He's, he's surly. He, he's, he looks like a man who's... Worn down by football, he doesn't have that spark he mm. had, uh, you know, a decade ago. When you know, even in defeats, he'd have a quip, and and there was a sort of a little bit of sense of self-parody about him. Now he's just he's miserable. Mm. Whereas Antonio Conte, that was self-fulfillment yesterday, wasn't it? He made his point about 
David Luiz, mm. dropping him, and he got the win. Yeah, I mean, it, some might see it as a gamble, but I mean, if you've watched him this season, I, I mean, I don't, I'd been won over by David Luiz last mm. last year. I thought he was tremendous last year. Um, you know, he, he seemed to have reined in sort of. Uh, the mistakes, became a little bit more disciplined. The three at the back suited him because he, he was the one who could be a little bit more free and he wasn't uh, he, he wasn't tied down to, to defensive uh, duties as much. And so he got away with it and he got the best out of him. This season, just being back to his, his former self for the first time at Chelsea, and I think that uh, it was a great decision to bring Christensen because he's, uh, he, he had a great game yesterday. Mm. What's the impact in a dressing room, Dave, when a manager makes a big decision and basically clip, clips a big player around the ear? I think uh, it depends on what the rest of the squads think about it. Now, if the rest of the squad are thinking that... It, David Luiz is sort of swan about and he's not pulling his weight and he is a bit of a liability, then it can, you know, it, it can give the manager more respect. Um, if it's somebody that's well-liked and they, they, they don't think it's warranted, then it, it, it can harm them. But I think uh, seeing yesterday was a right response and uh, they can see that... I don't think anybody's in any doubt whether about Conte's, or, Conte's authority. I think uh, everyone knows who's the boss there. I think. It's just whether they'll let him manage, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a bit of a dangerous game as well, you know, because uh, Luis is one of uh, Abramovich's favourites. Um, you know, so if it goes wrong, it's going to look bad. And we're in this period, This uh, it, it, it's a dangerous time for Chelsea. Um, Conte is not happy with the way things have gone. Um, and, you know, we may well see him part company with Chelsea before too very long. Um but the mad, there is a great sense of Chelsea ever since they sacked Mourinho a decade ago that managers don't matter. I think pretty soon they're going to find out they do. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we, you know we we get sort of talked into saying that it's all about the players, it's all about recruitment. If you've got the right players, then uh, you'll you'll do well. The players have to take responsibility. Yeah, yeah. You look at West Ham as an example. Those players are getting away with it. Mm. Yeah, of, of course. But it, likes of Conte, I think it's uh, it's great to see a manager sort of. It, sort of fiddle with things and make big decisions and sort of have an influence over the uh, mm. over the team and, and say that say to everyone that, you know, I, I'm a great coach, I know what I'm doing here because that's what you want to see. You know, you want to see a coach, I want to see a coach who can make the team a better, a, a bunch of players a better team. You know, talk, we talked about Sunderland before, you know, that's what you want in the club when everything else is going wrong, when they haven't got the right players, when everything's going, uh, going wrong upstairs, there's no leadership coming from upstairs. You want a manager that comes in and makes a difference in that team. Mm. Manchester City, Pep Guardiola, mm. nine wins on the bounce. How does he make them better? Bit of well, a scary thought, by the way. Well, I, I personally think you know if he, if he plays with the midfield, there'd be even more fearsome. <laughs> you know, it's a, I, I, I mean, I, I still think I don't quite buy into this city, the greatest team we've ever seen. You know, the the front four or five are just you know unbelievable, and the, the movements, uh, the pace, and also the press and the way they press opposition defences uh, that allows the. Uh, the defence to play a very high line. Um, I think the vulnerable there, I think you can get behind the defence. And I think there's, there, is a, there is a gap between the, the, the defence and the, and, and the forward line. And often there's only Fernandino in that area. And I think the, against the better teams, it's, the problem is there aren't that many better teams. That, mm. They'll get found out. But I think in this division, they'll... Would you, would you attack, for instance, the, the Otamendi's channel, that sort of left-sided channel? 
Yeah, well, I think if you're looking for weaknesses, uh, you're looking down that side, you're looking at uh, Fabian Delph and trying mm. to get at him. It, it, that's the way of doing it. But, you know, we talk about them defensively. I was reading some uh, yesterday, it was about uh, how many fouls are committed by, mm. by teams. And they, they commit a lot of fouls when, they t when the, the ball's turned over from them. So they, they, they defend, when that's down to uh, the tactical fouling or whether it's down to just the, the keenness to, to go in and win the ball straight back, I don't know about that. Do managers consciously coach tactical fouling? It's not something that's coached, but I think it's just something that's, um, I think it's a necessity of the game. I think, you know, you look at the game, um, was it was Everton the other week, um, it was Everton-Leicester, uh, Damari Gray, there was three opportunities they could have fouled him there. Um, Davies first, Rooney and uh, mm. Gay. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a, it's a part of the game, and, and to, you'd be naive not to to use it, and especially if you're a team that's open to the counter attack. I mean, I don't think it's explicitly said foul them, but you always hear the same thing, and, and you know, so to the players from some of the great teams say, you know, it's a, if they've got the ball and they're getting on top, break up the game. You know, disrupt the rhythm. Yeah, manage the and, game. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and that, and that essentially means foul them. Yeah. With that uh, Arsenal performance yesterday, did that actually emphasise even more Arsenal's irrelevance in terms of top four? Because, you know, they, they played within you know, reasonable limits. It didn't look a 3-1 game to me. It wasn't there, but it looked, looked a little bit more severe than that. Yet, Arsenal, again... Didn't turn up. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, uh, there's, there's deep problems there. Where's the plan? You know, he buys Lacazette in the summer and he doesn't play him in a game like this. Mm. He comes on and scores. What, what, you know, it's um, Erzlan Sanchez are out of here any minute. You know, and yet, yet they're still the backbone of the team. We're told when Wenger signs a two-year contract that they're going to put in a framework for the succession and eventually comes. Where's that? Well, I don't see anything. I don't see any planning. I don't see any um, any sense of progression for Arsenal. All I see is a club that's backsliding. Mm. Begs the question, does Man City need Sanchez? I don't think so. I mean, you, you've seen the reaction last year to, uh, you know, to, to the troubles at Arsenal, his reaction, sorry, so isolating himself. And interesting, yesterday seeing uh, Ozil uh, I think it was Koscielny, he, was, he lost the ball and Koscielny has a shout, a shout starts shouting at him and then uh, he, he, he lip-reamed as he looks back at Koscielny and saying, uh, you know, you shut up, you speak too much. And I mean, when things like that happen between people, it's, uh, you know, it, it, you look between the lines and it's, you can see there's not a, not a lot of, uh, it's, it'd be a, lot, a bit of trouble. There. It points to the, the, the fallacy that you've got to keep these players no matter what. Oh, you know what? I, I think um, the Perdom and the scandal. I mean, everyone, everyone says, well, you know, they criticise Ezel because of his lack of work rate. And you can see that. And they, they, people praise Sanchez and say, oh, you know, he works so hard. But you know what? You can do the wrong sort of work. He dribbles down blind alleys. He shoots from outside the box through into crowded areas when a pass would be better. And you know what? Against Swansea last week, you know, he was. Um, he plays a different game to his teammates. Mm. And, you know, it might be quite interesting to watch, but you know, it's it's not going to win you win you matches. And then at the end, while the Arsenal players clap the fans straight down the tunnel, he doesn't want to be there. You know, get him out. He's not that good. That, that's where managers have got to earn the money as well. They've got to recognise the a person's character, player's character. Now, it, it's it's quite uh, possible that 
keeping hold of those two players, it's holding Arsenal back from moving forward. As, mu as much as it is, you know, people might think about Wenger keeping Wenger there. They're not, go they're not going to move on to the next step or to m move into the, the next phase of, of Arsenal. Those two are the same. They, you know, until their futures are sorted, until they're away from the club, and they're not be able to bring people in to replace them, so they can move on and and go into the next phase. But because they, they, they are, they're holding them back. Would Would you sell Ozil to Man United? And Sanchez to Manchester City. If you're Arsene Wenger in January, look, I know a lot of people would say that you never sell your rivals, but I mean, if it's if you're getting the, the most money for them from those clubs as well, and we, we spoke about this the other week, you know, they're not close rivals at the moment. They they need to to get rid of those, get the money in, and then regroup and and to bring. Uh, uh, more recruitments in, replacements in, so then it can move on again. I mean, uh, they, they just don't look, even uh, playing football, they don't look the same Arsenal side. You know, Man City is showing them up because they show, it's all about the little angles, playing uh, playing through sides. Well, with Arsenal, everything was in straight lines. They're receiving the ball with the back to play and they're on half trying to play out and it's easy to press them and they're just not the same football sides they were. Mm. Whereas Spurs, you know, that, that win over... Crystal Palace was as significant in its way as the win over Real Madrid, wasn't it? Because that was a get-in-the-job-done type of thing. Good, good teams win uh, after bad performances. And, um, and you know, the, the opposite of Arsenal's happening at, at Tottenham. There is a plan and everyone's playing to the plan and, you know, and it's working. And uh, when, when you think about it, the, the, this team, the, the superstars have developed. They didn't start, they went they weren't acquired as superstars. You know, uh, Harry Kane, you know, they sent him out on loan, tried to give him away a number of times. And Deli Alley, you know, brought him in as a kid with loads of potential. And they've grown into the team. You know, you don't have to go out and buy, you know, spend 70 million on, on you know, sort of big names to, to develop. And th th those players, even though Deli Alley hasn't had the greatest start of the season, they play within the framework that Pochettino has set up for them. And everyone knows the job. Everyone works hard. And um, you know, it, it was interesting that um, that Roy Hodgson said. Um, he said we, we matched something about Crystal Palace. We matched uh, Tottenham's uh, effort. He said, which is very hard to do, and it is because this is a team that works. Arsenal don't work. Mm. And it's the, the international breaks actually come around quite nicely for them. Mm. Ali's got a couple of weeks to to get that hamstring sorted out. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting that Pochettino made a point of saying you've got to be cautious with Harry Kane. Uh, Harry Winks uh, looks like he's got well, he's got an ankle injury. It's 50-50 whether he's going to actually report for England. At least I think I've got a couple of weeks to actually take a breath. Yeah, from a Tottenham point of view, it's great. From an England point of view, it's not because you, you have those take those players out the side. Mm. Okay, you can give other people a chance, but I mean, it's not like we're uh, we're we're blessed with uh, a lot of options uh, when it comes to the England squad. Mm. But I, I think, you know, we we spoke about Sullen before and uh, and what's going on upstairs. Daniel Levy's done a hell of a job at Tottenham, mm. you know, and I know he's been criticised for not competing with the bigger budgets in that league and, and splashing the cash. But it's been sort of uh, it's been a marathon for them. They, they, they've, like I said, they've got the young players in. They've had another eye. Obviously, with the finances on the new stadium as well, mm. so everything's been cannily done, you know. Yeah, and and, and the, the the thing is, they'll they'll be quite looking forward to coming out of the international break because they've got Arsenal, easy half volley. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple of talking points uh, on an individual basis, Tony. I, I saw you were on social media last week, and this is a direct quote. Mm. The biggest 
change in the game in my lifetime, the idea that football is entertainment, that losing is somehow OK if it's pretty and winning can be dull. Can yeah. you explain that? Yeah, well, when I grew up and started going to match, the only way you could see 90 minutes of football was going the game. There was very little on television. There was highlight show. So it's and what going the match was about was you know you went with your friends. You could stand in a group. You know it's um, you know it was a social thing as much as uh, what was happening on the pitch. So what was happening on the pitch was kind of incidental. Um, now I think because of most people. Let's use the word, the buzzword, consume their football through television. It's created this sort of, um, th th this idea that, that the highlights film is the, you know, the, the apex of, of football. And all of a sudden, we, we get, we're seeing people criticise for, um, you know, for, for not being entertaining, for, for, you know, perhaps playing defensively. And I think it's, it, it's, it's a crazy mindset. It's, um, it's a modern mindset. I, 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 it's not an attack on good football. But it's it's almost the fans uh, who are like I need to be entertained. Well, it was never like that. It was um, you went and you enjoyed it for where it was. And what was really interesting yesterday, I noticed that um, uh, um, at Chelsea, Chelsea were one 0 up, and United were coming on towards the end, and they had the ball on the halfway line, passed it down um, on on the um, left, and Chelsea pressed them really heavily. And they, they had to knock the ball back, and eventually it went back to De Gea, and the crowds were ecstatic. And you know what? It'll never make highlights, lights film. It'll never be classed as entertaining. But that was about that was it was a brilliant moment. Mm. The crowd loved it, and that's entertainment. I suppose what I'm, I'm trying to get at is that there are more than one way to play football. There's more than one way to enjoy football, and it's not just about attackers who beat people who score goals it's about a, a whole different thing and um i i mean i love seeing a, attack on football but there was no there is no uh, there's no obligation for teams to play it and for fans to say that football's rubbish if they don't feel they've been entertained to me is just a really daft situation mm -hmm. part of the you know our culture is the tribal loyalty towards a club Sunderland's a club close to your heart, David. Is it an unmanageable club at the moment? It's not that it's unmanageable, but it, it, the, the odds are stacked against. There's a lot of things stacked, stacked against anybody who comes in there. And I think that that's the, the one reason why you want to talk about a manager who will make a difference. At the moment, there's no point uh, moaning about the ownership because that's not going to change anytime soon. It's no point talking about the players at the moment because there isn't going to be a great overhaul of the squad. The finances aren't there to do that. There's too many players there on big contracts from, from the Premier League too. So that's got to change. So it needs a manager who can come in and make the difference. Now, we, we, I thought as, as much as anybody, Simon Grayson would have done that. I th at least would have steadied the ship and that's what they were hoping. Uh, the, the ownership were hoping hoping that he would make the sort of uh, at least middle of the table championship so they just regrouped streamlined the club for sell on sell it on and then then the club can move on as it who would you appoint <sighs> I, I probably i mean the fan inside me probably would want to see somebody like um kevin phillips and and peter reed i know they've been mentioned i know it's a bit sort of um I don't know, you know, I don't want to look back too much, but things are so desperate there. At least if you, if you had a partnership of Phillips and Reid and Phillips was the, 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 the head coach and, and Reid was, uh, was above him, just guiding him. The first couple of matches, home matches, there'd be a full house. 
There wouldn't be 26,000 there like there has been the last few weeks. There'd be a full house. Now, then it'd be up to them to, to make sure that they kept them in there. But um, it's difficult to look far from um, from Martin Bain for the for the answer, really. And anybody close to him or with close ties to him will, uh, will, yeah, yeah, will, uh, will certainly uh, have a chance of getting the job. Right. Some questions from the listeners and viewers. Uh, we'll start with you, Tony. Um, cheeky one, Chelsea-related, from uh, Paul McAwenny. Uh, any of the panel surprised Conte didn't hang around waiting for the gracious one to whisper nonsense in his ear again? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't think it's the greatest relationship we've ever seen. Um, you know, there's a, a they, they, it's actually quite interesting watching their antics. You know, on the um, it, you know, in the, the technical areas, and um, I would say by the body language that they're not great mates. They won't be going out on the ale together, and neither will be the other's best man if they ever get married. Yeah, we we do build up these um, rivalries, don't we, Dave? I get the impression with with Pep and and, uh, and Mourinho that Pep's basically. I'll have a point of bothered, really. Mm. Yeah. Oh no, Seth. I mean, as, uh, as we mentioned this morning about the, the rivalry, then there's there's only one person who thinks there's a rivalry there, really, and that's Bruno, because yeah. he, he's he's trying to whip up some sort of rivalry. He's trying to maybe affect uh, Guardiola, but he, he'll never do that. Mm. I think uh, it was really interesting. I, lo I love watching it rather it, as much as I love watching the game. Was uh, was he was waiting outside, he's shaking hands with all the players, shaking hands, Mourinho shaking hands with all the uh, Chelsea players, all the staff, and then sort of uh, Conte comes out and he didn't even look at him, just put his hand out and then walked away. And then you're right after the game. It was great just to see him. Mm. Mourinho was obviously looking for his hand, mm. just go straight past him on the pitch. But well, yeah. that was brilliant. Lovely. Um, another Man United question. Ronnie Williams is a Man United fan. What do you expect of Zlatan at 36? Well, I think um, I, I think last year, uh, for all for all the success and, uh, and how well he did, I think he slowed the team down a little bit, um, which probably held back, you know, the likes of Rashford, Lingard, and Martial a little bit. Um, but he's got a huge presence in their area, and I think he'll still have that, and um, and he'll score goals. And I have to say, looking at um, Lukaku again yesterday, his anticipation is 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 off. He, you know, he doesn't he doesn't seem to know where the ball is likely to go, and that's the one thing that's Latin will have. And um, he, you know, so his presence will help them. And I think if he can bring the younger players into the game a bit more, um, it's it, you know, he, he he could transform the season. Talking to younger players, David. Um... Jamie Jones has been on. Uh, this is obviously an injury-dependent question uh, about Winks. Um, with Winks in excellent form, will Southgate put him into central midfield and Dyer to centre-back, as Pochettino's done at Spurs? What do you think? Well, he, he's done that well. I think he's got to do that. At least he's got to try him there. I think uh, the fact that he's, you know, he's, he's got so little experience, uh, Premier League experience, but then all of a sudden, because he's playing well, been thrust in there and everyone's saying that he has to be in the side just shows you how thin on the ground we are for players really and for, for the squad members but he's got to I mean, he's, he's so impressive especially I mean two games against Real Madrid mm. um, you know against players I mean he, he's looking at the, his opposition and he's probably got posted them on his bedroom wall you know, like, <laughs> like Cruz and Modric yeah and, and it is and, and he's coming out and, and he's showing them how to play and, and, he, and he's not looking at a place amongst the three of them and I think that uh, it, it's a it's a 
he ha Southgate has to put him in there and uh, and has to start preparing now for the. But I, I I think it makes sense. I mean, we, he tried the he tried the essentially five at the back system, and with players who are never going to be playing it, how stupid is that? Mm. I mean, you know, try it with the team that's likely to need it, to need a plan B in the World Cup. And it seems to me that the obvious answer was to, to drop Dyer in and, and do that with effectively your first team. And it gives you a view whether or where, when it matters. This this nonsense about doing it with your, um, with your second and sometimes third stringers, it just didn't make any sense to me. A related question, uh, David, from Tim Smith who points out that there were 16 England players involved in Champions League games last week. Does that bode well for the future? It should do, but, I mean, it's a to totally different kettle of fish when they, when they play for England as well. I mean, speaking about um, whether, how England should play, where they should play on the counter-attack because they, they've got players who are, who are used to playing that as well. I think that's... It's difficult to do that because, I mean, if, you, if you're a manager, managing against uh, opposition against England, you probably drop off us and let us have the ball, you know, mm -hmm. and and because I don't think we'd we'd find it difficult to break teams down anyway. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, uh, it, I mean, it, it does board well. I mean, like I said, it's especially from Tottenham's point of view. If you put, put uh, Carl Walker into that as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, they, they've done a they, England a great service, haven't they? Yeah, sort of a related question here from Owen Mayers. Should England play counter-attacking football? Given the success of Spurs and Liverpool in doing so, you know, quick, transi quick transitions from defence to attack. Now you need a strong core and pace. And Owen's thought is that we've got that. England have that. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think there's a logic there. I think um, I, I think it would be a, a reasonable way to play. I think one of the things that's that has held England back for years and years. It's this idea that you've got to play at international pace. Yeah. My view is you look at the players you've got and say the Premier League is 100 miles an hour. You know, it's a, it's um, uh, these are the way these players play every week. Let's get the ball up quick. Let's you know, yeah. Let's make the transitions quick. Let's get the ball up. Let let's let's close people down. Let's uh, let's make these teams who want to play at a slower pace compete for the first ball and win the second ball and play play the English game with them. And that's what I think would be more effective instead of like you know so like, oh yeah let's let's stroll like we should do in internationals. Mm. Yeah, but it's all all dependent on the opposition though as well. Yeah. You know, if, if if they're going to play a high pressing game as well, then it's obviously easier to play the counter attack in football. But not a lot of teams at the national level do. Mm. Mm. England this week you know, got their prestige friendlies. Mm. Okay, they got their money making friendlies. Mm. The real game is at Windsor Park on Thursday night, Northern Ireland against Switzerland. How do you think they'll get on? Well, I think they've got a chance. I think, um, you know, if you look at the FIFA rankings, it looks as if, uh, uh, you know, Northern Ireland will struggle. But Switzerland's have been, um, they, they, they haven't been great. They're a bit one-dimensional. And I think um, I think on a wild night in uh, Windsor Park, it could, uh, you know, they could get something there. Mm, it just begs the question, what does Michael O'Neill need to do to get a club job? It's almost like an actor who's been typecast, you know. He, he seems to be suited in that set of players and sort of that environment as well. It's it's quite telling that he doesn't get um, linked with a lot of jobs, especially even in Scotland where he's where he's based as well. He's obviously doing a great job, and you like to think that a club with you know, that style. I mean, you, you know, you talk about Dyche going to Everton. Would he suit, would he suit Burnley? 
because mm. it's almost a, a like for like and the same kind of uh, sort of environment and mm. and, uh, and philosophy as well. So perhaps something like that would come. But he, he probably still have to, he still has to to prove himself at, at club football. So mm. you do you, you you wonder whether he'd go in straight at that level. Well, getting Northern Ireland to the finals would be the pinnacle. Surely you'll get a club job after that. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.